0: Well, I don't know how you feel about exploration dates on uh, food products. Some feel it's a conspiracy from the government to try to get us to buy more and more things. Some of you take exploration dates as a suggestion rather than uh, as something you should take seriously. Um, I'll drink milk a day or two after the exploration. I'll smell it first. I'll never forget the time I put a little cheddar cheese on the floor for the dog and he turned his nose and walked away. (laughs) And I smelled the cheese and I know why he walked away. (laughs) I have a can of oysters here, whole boiled oysters that have an exploration day of uh, March of 2014. If anybody would like (laughs) to take that home with them. that might be a can where you might want to take that seriously. Amen. Yeah. By the way, I found this in the food pantry, so be, those of you, yeah, you might want to check on, yeah, okay, all right. I mean to dish in front of everybody, but check that out anyway. I don't want to make anybody, that kind of thing. Exploration dates, you know you have one on yourself. Did you know that? You do know you expire, right? The tricky part is you can't raise your arm up and see the date. You don't know. And don't think that you're going to die when you're 80 and 90. You might die tomorrow. You might expire. I'll tell you another, I'm not sure if it's, it's an exploration date, but it's certainly something to think about. The Spirit of God deals with your heart about being saved, about being born again. Clearly tells you you need to be saved. He talks to you. And you turn that little switch off and you kind of walk away and think, well, another day. I'm not sure if the Lord ever quits dealing with you, but I think your heart gets a little harder to it. And you know you don't get saved when you want to get saved. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. You get saved when the Lord deals with your heart. That's why the Bible says that the day to get saved is today, not tomorrow. But you do have an exploration date on you. Now, we all know that if the Lord tarries, we're all going to die. You know that. You know that. I mean, common sense, human life, you've been to enough funerals, you know you're going to die. But I think it's part of the deceitfulness of sin within human life that we just don't really think so. Really. Because you've been around a long time. Some of you. I want you to think back, and I wondered last week why that's true, that we don't think we're ever really going to be in that nice oak casket with everyone looking down at us. And I think it's this. I want you to think back to a time when you were not. Go back in the recesses of your mind. Go back to a time where you didn't exist. You can't do it. In your mind, there never was a time that you didn't exist. Now, you know when Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address, some of you weren't here. Some of you were. You know you had a starting point, but you don't remember the starting point. Neither do you remember a time when you never were. And because we think there never was a time I never wasn't, there's probably never going to be a time when I'm not. At least in this life. Follow me? There, was a, there is a time To respond to the Spirit of God if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. And that is the time when He wakes you up to that fact. Maybe in a service just like today. Because I'm telling you, there was a time when Jesus turned away from the Jewish nation as a whole and stopped ministering to it. Now, He never stopped ministering to Jews and Gentiles and people. But there was a national day that nationally he no longer dealt with Israel as a nation. Now he will again in the future, I believe. But in the past there was a moment, a day, that he turned away from the nation as a whole and said, here's your exploration date, it's over. The first chat, and you'll see it today in John chapter 10 verse 40. In the first chapter of John, it said this. Listen to these words that the gospel writer wrote. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Got that? I want you to hear the tragedy of that. He came unto his own Jewish nation, and his own nation said, No, I reject you. Let me take it beyond that because I think you can apply it further. He comes unto his own created humanity. He comes to you and to I. Have you received him? Do you know him? Can you go back in your mind to a point in your life where he became your Savior and Lord? See, he came unto his own, his own said no. But then the verse goes on, But as many as did receive him, individuals, to them, praise God, he gave the right, the authority, the power to become his very sons. That is a commentary on the first and second half of the Gospel of John. After the conversation in John chapter 10, when the Jews attempt to arrest him, in verse 39, if you'll look at it with me, it says he escaped from their hands. Verse 40 takes us to the picture behind me. I'll read it, and then I want you to look. Don't look now. Look at the, look at the verse. And he went away again. Across the Jordan, stop right there, look at the picture behind me. There is the beautiful, glamorous, glorious Jordan in all her magnificence. She is a muddy river in mostly wilderness. Nothing's pretty about the Jordan, is it? You wouldn't take your family for a picnic down at that beach. I think of the story of Naaman in the Old Testament when he was filled with leprosy. He was a general for the Syrian army. And there was a little girl that worked for his wife. And she was taken captive from Israel. And she said, you know, why doesn't Naaman go down to Israel and get healed of that leprosy that he's got? So Naaman went down and he met the prophet Elijah. It's a great story. You ought to read it in 2 Kings chapter 5. Because when he showed up at he showed up the prophet's door, the prophet didn't even come out and talk to him. Didn't greet him. What an insult for a general. You know, he didn't even come out. He just stayed inside the house and told his servant Gehazi to go out and tell Naaman to go do what? Wash seven times in that mud hole. And then when you come up, you'll be don't make any sense at all. Naaman was insulted. He had in his mind the way the prophet was going to heal him, and it's 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 comical. It's almost a line out of our present day healers. I thought the prophet would come out. It pronounced this big blessing in prayer and wave his hand over the spots of leprosy and abacadabra, it would be gone, insulted. He almost went home until one of his servants said, why don't you just, did he ask you to do a hard thing? And he went down and washed and he was clean. I'm gonna tell you the gospel in your mind before you get saved is a muddy river that doesn't make a bit of sense. But you go down and believe on Christ And you will come up with no leprosy of sin in you at all. It'll be all clean. So anyway, I want to show you the, the, because we kind of glamorized the River Jordan. There it is. That's what he crossed. Let's go on in the verses. He went away again. This was not his first time that he crossed over the River Jordan and went back and forth. It's going to be different this time. But it says again, now we're only going to deal with two verses this morning. Well, actually three, 40, 41, and 42. Sometimes we read over these little verses that transition us to the next story, and we go, oh, that's just filler to get us to the next. No, it's not. There's an awful lot going on here. So verse 40 says, he crossed, crossed over the Jordan again. To the place where John had been baptizing at first. Notice he went back to where John was baptizing. He went back to the place where his ministry had begun some three, three and a half years earlier. He ended up where he started. He finished the trip at his starting point. You know, we do that, don't we? Full circle. We begin life drooling on ourselves, and we end life drooling on ourselves. We always end up where we start. That's why in Christianity, you must have a starting point of coming to Christ, or you won't have an ending moment with Christ in heaven. You always end up where you start. And the journey of those three, three and a half years ended back to the place where John 1st, dunked him in the water, and sent him on his way to minister in the power of God. And this is where it all ends up. Notice it says in verse 40 that there he remained. He stayed there. With Israel, he was finished as a nation. This isolated, out-of-the-way wilderness with this muddy river was the end of his ministry. Let me stop and make a point to you. God does nothing in the world's eyes glamorous. There are no coliseums filled with people and lights and cushioned seats. There are no cameras rolling in the wilderness. There is no air conditioning, no no protection from the animals. It is rough, it is rugged, it is wilderness, it is non-glamorous as it comes And those are the places God does his very best work. Alone in an isolated place. Away from the billboards and the microphones. Notice it says in verse 41, Many came to him. will not you love that? Many crossed over that filthy river to come hear him and come to him. Many walked inconveniently out in the wilderness to come to him. I ask you a very simple question that requires a very simple yes or no answer. Have you come to him? Have you? Let's not brush over that question. Have you come to him? Because coming to him means you turn your back on Jerusalem and religion and and, and every organized attempt of mankind to get to God. You reject everything in this world and you come to have you come to him. Have you come to him? Is he your everything? Is there nothing more important in your life than him? Have you rejected yourself and come to Him? Have you abandoned your own life and come to Him? Have you you rejected everything in this world and come to Him? Do you understand? Coming to Him means turning your back on everything and everyone else. Have you come to Him? Not to a religion. Not to a baptismal. Not to a church membership. Not to a movement. Have you come to Christ? Him alone. He is the only one that can save you and redeem you. And through the muddy waters you must come. All that the world rejects we embrace. Have you come to Him? Notice what it says. This is what they were talking about. This is what they were saying. I'm going to tell you, the Bible in 10 words says more than volumes on church leadership at this point. The Bible in 8 to 10 words is going to tell you what every New Testament preacher ought to look like. Are you ready for this? This is incredible. It says this is what they were talking about. John did no sign. John the Baptist out here in the wilderness didn't raise the dead. John healed no one. John didn't turn the muddy waters into wine. John did nothing. Watch this. Spectacular. John didn't woo us with his presentations. John didn't glamorize the whole thing. John was nothing to look at. In fact, he was a little funny to look at. Camel clothes, camel hair, just beard hair all over the place, eating bugs out there. He was as unspectacular as they go. Nothing shiny about the stuff he wore or the life that he lived. John was rugged. John did no sign. Are you listening to me? The New Testament preacher is not to do signs. He is not to draw attention to himself. He is not to be glamorous. He is not to be spectacular. He cares nothing about what you think about what he looks like, acts like, behaves like, or anything. His view, we ought ought to behave correctly. I'm going to stop and say that. His mind, when he preaches and teaches, is not on what you think of him. He could care less. John didn't care your opinion of him. One iota. Slander the New Testament preacher all you want. He'll smile and say, if you only knew more, you'd slander me more. No attention is drawn to John. He did no sign. But, look at the rest of it. Everything that John said about this man, that's all John talked about. Behold the Lamb of God. Everything John talked about this man was true. Kind of tells me all that time in the wilderness when he was throwing him down in the muddy waters, he was talking to him about the Messiah, about Jesus Christ. He drew no man after his own self for a follower. In fact, when Jesus showed up, all he did was point and point and point. That's all he cared about. What a powerful eight to ten words. What a contrast in the religious scene today, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. Look at verse 41. Everything he said was true. Oh, by the way, wh- what did he say that was true? Take a look at that. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Amen. I want you to look at the Lamb of God because he's the only one who takes away the sin of the entire world what else did he say he said i these are just a few of the statements he made he said i must in he must increase i must decrease and thirdly he said i am not worthy to loosen his shoelaces that was john there is one coming greater than i that i I'm not even worried to, to unloosen his shoelaces. Look at the last verse, verse 41. And many believed in him there. Got it? In the wilderness. Apart from the spectacular. Three verses. Pretty powerful stuff. You need to know three things the waters of this life are always going to be muddy just you know we kind of look out over a time when everything will be clear again and clean it never will this life is a mess your life is a mess my life is a mess we live in messes we're just messy people living in messy situations messy lives Ozzy and Harriet just doesn't pull it anymore. There's no such thing as leave it to beaver lifestyles. This whole world is a mess. It's muddy. And life will never not be muddy. You know what creates a muddy river? A muddy bank and a muddy basin. Whatever water flows over affects it. If you have a river bank that's all rocks and hard pan, you're going to have a clean crystal mountain stream. But when you have something like, well, let's go back. Something like that, you've got nothing at the bottom but what? Mud. Whatever the foundation is, creates the water. When your lives in my life, are flowing over stuff that's soggy and muddy. It's always going to be muddy. life apart from Christ will always be messed up. You let the life flow over the rocks and stability of Christ himself, that cleans the stream up. It's nothing the water does. It just flows over a different basin, a different foundation. Apart from Christ, it will always be muddy. Number two, life in the bush with him is better than existence. I didn't put life there because life apart from his is just existence. Life in the bush with him is better than existence without him in a palace. There were a lot of glorious places in this New Testament time. There were cities that were powerful, Thebes and, and, and Rome and, and the great Corinth. And Few of those are ever mentioned in the Bible as far as their magnificent goes. What's mentioned are small towns and wildernesses and muddy rivers and places that he makes special because he's there. What have you wished for your life? Has it come true? Probably not. But he makes spectacular that which is ordinary in this life. Number three. The time to come and believe on him is now. I'm fairly confident because I know humanity that there are those in the hearing of my voice who have never been saved. You've never come to Christ. You've heard a thousand sermons. You've been to a lot of church services. But in your heart, you've never really come to Him. All the religious activity does you nothing. The source of life must be Christ Himself. And if you're lost, if you're apart from Him, you don't have life inside of you. That's why your life is muddy. That's why the river is muddy. That's why nothing makes sense. That's why you're always seeking something more to make you happy because you don't have him. I know I may be speaking to just a few, but a few is important. Have you come to Christ? Today's the day, you know. Today's the day. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't say no one more time.